Hello everybody and welcome to another in our series of podcasts around the theme of financial well-being. My name's David Lloyd and every so often I get together uh, in his palatial suburban residence with my friend Chris Budd and uh, Tomo, our producer, who's sitting over there. Uh, so we get together and we waffle on about uh, various things to do with money and our lives. What's been going on in your life recently, Chris? Well, I've had a couple of very interesting things. I a very in- we're recording this in February and I had a very interesting January. I did two events. One was in York. But I was there to talk at an event um, run by a young advisor called Adam Piplica. And there was one other speaker that I just want to tell you about, because I found Maria Nadeva, I think that's how you pronounce her name. She was a ball of energy, uh, you know, one of these people who just take life by the watsits and make the most of it. And she told us about how she had paid off £100,000 of debt in two years. And it was a fascinating talk one line she said which really struck home to me she said do you know what the smallest amount was i paid off of that debt and it was four pounds and i thought that was really powerful it showed the complete and utter dedication to getting rid of this debt even to the extent that she had a spare four pound in her pocket then so she put that aside and paid off a bit of debt with it that's a really really good proof if you like that it's about attitude and approach and about sometimes about small steps, some that four pounds at a time might not seem much, but gradually chip away. Yeah, yeah, great, great tip from from Maria. And then the other thing, as I went to, I was going to say Amsterdam. Actually, it was Hilversum. Hilversum. Is that a good? That's very good. That I'm convinced, but any Dutch listeners might. Yeah. Want to. <laughs> That's true. I was talking to a, a conference of financial planners, and it was really, really interesting because in um, Holland they have a really good state pension system, and therefore the financial advisors there have no investments to look after so in the uk we all look after investments as well as doing financial planning and tax and pensions and hopefully coaching but in in holland they don't have any of that so we were talking that the conference was all about what do we do for people and will they pay for it it was really interesting so i'm going to be watching how that progresses in the the netherlands over the next few years uh what's on today's podcast chris well one of the principles of how to increase financial well-being is to increase financial options and we've talked a bit about this and today we're going to hear from Simone Gnesson who is a financial coach. She has coached me how to say her name for example so I'm pretty confident in Simone Gnesson. She does not give advice about products or investments. Instead she helps people to work out their relationship to money. Uh, she's written a book called Economics, which despite its title though it does focus on women and money actually the lessons are are for everybody so don't let the title or the idea that it's for women put anybody off because it's got such fantastic suggestions and tips it's it's a bit like the financial well-being book it's full of practical suggestions and tips and i really enjoyed it and recommend it to anybody before we go on to that let's as ever uh, read out some of the tweets that we've been getting in since the last podcast uh, remember our uh, twitter handle at fin wellbeing matthew sibley at matthew underscore sibley He says, spend money on those you care about. I've just paid for my parents to go on an overnight spa trip and they loved it. That's given me a tremendous feeling of well-being. It was a great experience for them and for me. You know, that really triggers something off with me many, many years ago. We as a family used to love sitting around watching uh, Morecambe and Wise on the TV. It's a big thing back in the 70s. And, um, And they were doing a tour. And they were coming to Chester, which was my hometown at the time. And so I got my parents tickets to go and see Morecambe and Wise, which sort of thing they'd never done when we were growing. I've got three brothers, so they never went out. 
And they were, I think, as pleased and impressed as they've ever been by anything that I'd ever done for them. <laughs> because it was probably the first time I'd actually spent proper money on them to do something. And that gave me a huge amount of well-being. So I can very much back up what Matthew says there. What I like about Matthew's tweet there is this, this fits in really neatly with a couple of things that we talk about in, in Financial Wellbeing Book, which is spending money on others and experiences rather than by stuff by experiences uh, and and that's just right in our sweet spot so i really like that tweet so ruth power at our power she says i'm more risk averse i don't do debt and i'd rather pay stuff like tax bill in installments husband is an accountant and would rather keep it in our bank till the last minute think it's down to personality types values and upbringing and not gender Obviously, generational thing too, but you can never assume who is in charge of money, no matter what their age. And that that's brings us into this whole gender issue, which we're not going to go too far down. But my experience is that you would imagine that as a financial advisor for many, many years, financial planning, people that come to us, would, older couples, very often the stereotype would be that the man looks after the money and the woman has no idea. Actually, quite often it's the other way around. So it is dangerous to draw any conclusions about gender. Simone in her book does talk a bit about women engaging with money more emotionally than men. And I think that's probably a generalisation that's fair to make. And she goes on to a few... So, so women reading the book definitely should read economics, but don't let that put off men reading it as well. Well, many years ago, before I moved to Bristol, so it's back in the 1980s, I had a financial advisor in London, and she was a woman, and she was great, actually. Gave me some very, very good advice. She was very practical, and, and the tips she gave me were great. But actually, there was something about the fact that she was a woman that I could relate to emotionally. And I found the sort of advice that she gave me was very helpful... So let's have a listen to, to Simone Ganesson. Um, Simone used to be an, an independent financial advisor, IFA herself, but she found herself focusing more and more on helping people deal with their finances and less and less concerned with financial products or investments. So being re regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, uh, became something that she found just wasn't important to her because they focus on regulating the sale of products. She gets people to challenge how they think about money and they come to the conclusion that they actually have a lot more options than they might realise if only they changed some of their emotional responses to their finances. So let's have a listen to my chat with uh, Simone Ganesson. So Simone, thanks ever so much for talking to us for the, uh, our podcast. My pleasure. The book that you've written uh, with Karen, Sheikonomics, I absolutely love. There's loads of really good stuff in there. I want to focus on one particular area because in the Financial Wellbeing book, we talk about self-limiting beliefs and how to create more options. And I've got about yeah. two pages on it. You've got almost a whole book on it. <laughs> well, it, it's quite a crucial area because um, it holds us back from doing the things that we really want to be doing. And I guess what we're doing with Sheikonomics is starting with the emotions and the self-limiting beliefs, the things that get in the way, the things that are kind of underneath the surface in order to help people take better control and think about their, their dreams and visions and manifesting that. Before we get into that, how did you arrive at being a finance coach? Um, well, my background was like I used to be an independent financial advisor and I worked in a traditional way, but I still got disillusioned by the industry. The industry was kind of getting f more and more focused towards high net worth clients and kind of dealing with just a minority of people in the world. And there were so many people that needed help and support with money that didn't have access to 
traditional financial advice. You've either got people that are in debt and need help kind of getting out of debt that they can't manage. There's tons of free debt advice kind of agencies out there. And there's thousands of financial advisors helping people manage money they already have accumulated. But what if you've never accumulated that money? What if you've got habits and behaviors that don't serve you? So I kind of wanted to strip out the advice element and see what was left, really. And I have to say, it evolved. It was, I gave birth to something that then it felt like it, it had a life because I, be, I then became interested in why we don't do what we know we need to be doing. So then how can I help people challenge their behavior and habits? And actually, then I got interested in what's actually beneath the habits and behaviors. And that's where these kind of self-limiting beliefs and our experiences with money and all that come into it. So so I trained in coaching and in neuro-linguistic programming so I could help people at a deeper level address some of the barriers to financial success. So so you you've gone pretty deep and pretty pretty a long way past product haven't you and uh, Yeah, I mean it, it's a million miles away from from that. But but that background is still useful because I can still talk to people about pension planning and investments and strategies and help them understand and demystify all of that but also offer Quite often, people are scared to go and see a financial advisor. If you've never taken advice before, you've just inherited money, let's say, it's quite a scary move. My, my stuff is all about really self-empowerment. And in a financial advisory world, the, the advisor walks away with the action. And here, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm encouraging clients to take action oh, and holding them to account on that. That's great. I love that. That's fantastic. And, and actually, it wouldn't be interesting for more financial advisors to realize that when people come and see them, they're quite often worried and scared. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I always did my, my job a little bit differently to, to other advisors. And I realize now that I probably always coached clients more so than giving them advice and telling them what to do. And, and I always had a box of tissues on my table and often people would disclose uh, information to me, share stories that they've perhaps never shared with anyone else before. And there would always be emotion in the room. And now I'm kind of naming it and giving permission to people to talk about that. We've got quite a lot in common in, in some of the stuff that we talk about. Um, yeah. Although you go way further in, in this particular area. But one of the starting points is the expression to help people understand their relationship with money. Yes. And it's kind of an odd expression that, I mean, the first time I heard it, I was, well, what does that mean? So, so what do you do when a new person comes to, to talk to you? What do you do to help them understand their relationship to money? Well, first of all, before we even meet, I send out a questionnaire. So I ask um, finance information and, and all that. But but I've also got some questions and there are about 16 questions and they they range from some practical questions like, you know, how long do you spend on your finances? And uh, they're very dif different questions to what financial advisors generally ask, right? But they move on to, to questions about your relationship to money. So, you know, I'm asking things like, what are your biggest fears or worries about money? Uh, what does money mean to you? What money behaviors would you like to change? So I'm already starting to get them to think about their relationship to money, but not necessarily using quite that language. So I'm asking about their emotions. I'm asking about their behaviors. I'm asking what's got in the way in the past, that kind of thing. And then specifically, how can I help? How can we uh, re resolve this? But I'm addressing the relationship to money before we even begin. 
And then I just simply talk and ask questions and intuitively kind of ask questions based on what what's coming up. But mostly I don't have to say very much because it's a, a space, a safe space where people for the, you know, maybe the first time ever have actually addressed this. And so, in, in your book yeah. on page 39, there's a list of questions that you, you give for people uh, or, or finish this sentence. Things like money is yeah. dot, 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 money isn't if I made more money dot dot dot. Uh, and uh, interesting people that p- make lots of money are dot dot dot. I mean, these are questions that if you're honestly answering them, you're going to start understanding your own relationship, not just to money, but, but to life and people, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. There are exercises that people may do on their own and bring back to a session. We'll talk about it. And sometimes I also ask a question like to personify money. If, if you imagined you invited money to tea and it came knocking on the door, what would it look like? Who would it remind you of? Maybe. <laughs> what would it say to you? What answers have you had? How would it behave? Well, all kinds of rain. You know, sometimes it might be. Uh, the kind of monopoly character, you know, with a top hat and tails and <laughs> or it might be a monster that's about to chew me up and spit me out. It's dressed in a certain way that makes me feel quite alien and disassociated from it. Any positive responses? Occasionally, yeah. I mean, I'm often dealing with the the more troublesome kind of cases. In <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of clients that come to me are coming to me because there's a deep sense of fear or shame about right. money, and um, so I am often kind of getting that um, the negative response. Yeah. The first part of Sheikonomics talks a lot about money emotions. Yes. Could you give us a few examples of that? The main ones that I see are fear, which may show up as anxiety. So worries, people waking up in the middle of the night worrying about lack of financial security or the mess they got themselves into or the fact that they have earned well over the course of their lives but got nothing to show for it. There's a lot of fear that we all feel about about the future that comes up. Shame, you know, shame for um, experiences that they've had in the past, perhaps hiding uh, the debt from their partner or fearful of um, of having that conversation about money with people that they know. So so fear and shame. Excuse me, does that shame also, I, I've experienced shame from people who have money, guilt almost. Yes, absolutely. That sense of uh, it's unfair that I've got so much when others have got so little. It may also manifest as not feeling deserving. And this is where it merges into those self-limiting beliefs. Mm. Um, I mean, the other thing about emotions of of money is that we can use spending anyway as an emotion regulator. So our emotions can hijack common sense. We can spend money to make ourselves feel better. So if if we've had a tough week... We might feel that we deserve it. So we deserve a takeaway. We deserve to go and on a shopping spree. Uh, people use shopping as retail therapy. So it's an emotion regulator as well. I, I'm just thinking of somebody that we, we, we dealt with who um, inherited a lot of money unexpectedly. I mean, uh, not a million pounds, but not far off um, in a will for somebody that she'd very, been very kind to. And she had huge problems with it. 
the guilt and the shame and uh, of of why me I shouldn't be getting this and it it took quite a while for her to realize that actually she was given that because she'd done good things and because the person wanted them to have it and to enjoy it and so forth uh, but she really struggled with accepting the money yeah, inherited wealth can be really complicated. We, uh, you know, we often think if only I won the lottery, if only uh, I inherited money from somebody I don't even know in my life, unexpectedly. But actually, that can often create problems if you you're suddenly in a position where you don't have to work anymore. Now, what do you do with your life? Or it may be that it's associated with perhaps a sense of kind of power and control. So it came from a family member that you you feel at some level a kind of sense of disgust around that money. Uh, or it came from a family member that, you know, the you've lost a parent and um, there's an association with, I'd rather my parent be alive than have this money. And also it could be that you're in a relationship with somebody where you're, you had equal standing financially before and all of a sudden you're the one that has a lot more financial security and it creates inequality in your relationship which could could create issues so i've seen all of that kind of uh, stuff manifesting through inheritance and and i've done work with clients to to help them feel a kind of sense of cleaning up money for instance so working out how much they can afford to give away that enables them to feel that they're doing something really worthwhile and meaningful to them so it's no longer disassociated from them. So you're turning that negative into a positive then? Aren't you? Yeah, yeah. What we've been describing I think here is, uh, is, is, is beliefs that people have and, and you've used the phrase a few times, these self-limiting beliefs. Yeah. Um, so we've, you know, we've unpacked a few examples of self-limiting beliefs. Uh, permission I think is a really interesting one. Uh, guilt, shame, etc. But the belief that you don't deserve this money, etc. So uh, how do you start to get people to challenge those beliefs that are holding them back? First of all, identifying what they are. As, as you say, you know, how do you get people to talk about their relationship to money? Sometimes getting to the root of what's really behind the money problems, let's say, the, the issues that are, that are arising, the behaviors that aren't serving them. Getting to the root of that can be the most complicated part of it. And once, once you're clear about that, then I either work in a, on a quite a cognitive basis of, of, in a similar way to the exercise you've got in your book, actually. So I, I'll, we'll talk about how that belief arose, what they're doing to reinforce that belief. So even though it's a negative belief, it doesn't serve them. What are you doing to reinforce it? So you're, you're keeping it alive. What are you doing? So helping them see that they're keeping that alive, even though it's not what they want. Uh, and then I'll get them, like you do, I, I get them to turn it into something positive. So what if... If that was complete opposite, what would be the positive money message? And then how would you behave if you had that message? And and now, right, what are you going to commit to as an action to reinforce that new message? So uh, we might work on that kind of level of really getting them to address that at some level they're reinforcing this. And what could they do to, to challenge that for themselves? So getting them to take action. But in other cases, I do quite deep work using NLP type techniques of going back to to the message and where it came from and kind of unhooking it from the past. So working on a, at quite an unconscious level to really shift that message at a, at a deep, deep level. On page 59 of your book, 
you've got a belief busting log and it, it describes uh, in, in seven questions exactly the process you've just talked about so anyone listening to this podcast clearly they should be buying your book and they should <laughs> we've got issues here they should go straight to page 59 um, and write out what belief do you hold and how did it arise and so forth I think that's a wonderful little simple seven point exercise that people can do to help themselves Exactly. It's great that you, uh, I've had lots of clients that have just gone away and done that exercise themselves and then we've talked about it. So it's definitely an exercise that can be done on your own. We've also got a a website for Sheikonomics, sheikonomics Sheikonomics.com and and that exercise is downloadable from that uh, website. I shall be on it like a shot as soon as we start. <laughs> the other thing that I really love about your book is that you, throughout it you have peppered do something different boxes, um, yeah. which is great actually. And if I can just give one um, that particularly close to my heart, if you're eaten up with reference anxiety, perhaps you're comparing yourself with others too much. Stop reading magazines that make you feel you don't measure up. Yeah. Love or that Facebook. One. Stop using Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I don't like adverts. So I, I, I always have the mute button right next to me whenever I'm watching telly. Anything yep. to stop getting messages sent to you to say that you're not good enough. Absolutely. Yeah. And that self-limiting belief exercise would kind of draw out those things. What else do we have? What other do-something-different boxes do, they, do, do we have? And, and what's the thinking behind them? Well, there's a lot of science behind it, actually. So the book came out in 2009. Since then, Do Something Different has become an organization. Like Professor Karen Pine, who's my co-author, uh, is one of the founders of this organization. And the concept really is that we all operate within a very narrow range of behaviors. So we might be um, introvert, extrovert. Given a, a social situation, we, we quite often operate within a, a, the same kind of narrow range of behaviors. Are we risky? Are we cautious? All that kind of thing. We, we tend to operate within a narrow range of behaviors. So the concept here is that it's getting people to do things that are outside of their normal behavioral repertoire. So it's expanding your comfort zone, uh, getting you to, to go into that discomfort zone, expanding your range of behaviors. And then it gives you different choices and it reduces your stress. So it's, it's proven to reduce stress if we, if we have more experience of doing things outside of our normal ra- range of behaviors. So here we're getting people to, to take something that they would they would automatically do and 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 turn it on its head and do something different so for instance if you've got a kind of scarcity mentality like money's hard to come by you know there's never enough there's not enough for me then maybe go to a car showroom and ask to test drive a car that's really outside of your normal price range or or something that you would ever think about for yourself. Just have that experience or go to the Ritz and have have tea at the Ritz or buy yourself a a very expensive, low cost product, you know, like a face cream, but but a high range face cream. So you're not spending a ridiculous amount that you can't afford, but it's something that's way beyond what you normally would allow yourself. So you're giving, you're, you're getting different experiences. Since the book also, we've created a, a do something different program, uh, which you can access online and through your, your mobile phone. It, it's diagnostically driven. So you answer questions about how often would you get into debt a lot or never? Do you know exactly where your money goes? Yes, definitely or no, never. 
and then the program is created for you to give you things that are outside your normal behavioral repertoire and it's a six-week program and you get given three a week three do's a week and they're just very simple little things like maybe talk about money uh, today and and reveal a financial secret to somebody they're, they're little things but it gets you to r- respond differently to money i really like the do something different box near the end which is right to yourself in the future yeah well when i'm talking to clients about pension planning i'll reframe it as your future self you're planning for your future self it's a gift to your future self and I might get them to imagine yourself aged 65 or whatever age you're, you're thinking about. What does she want? What does he want? What does he need? What does he want from you? How does he want you to behave? So, yeah, write to yourself in the future. Write, to, write from your future is a, a, a way of kind of getting people to, to think differently about, you know, what's currently on their mind. And and one final question, which forgive me for asking, but as a man reading a Sheikonomics book, um, I know your book is aimed at women, but uh, a lot of the stuff is cross-gender, isn't it? It's it's not specifically uh, women. Absolutely. We've taken a bit of stick for that, you know, kind of (laughs) why women and why really the the, the aim of the, the book was to write a book that was very easy to read and follow and that it was... Uh, it would appeal to women. So there are a lot of books uh, about finance, as you know, um, I'm sure you've read lots of them that are very kind of text heavy, um, very unlike yours and mine that have lots of exercises and reflections and all that kind of thing in it. Um, and so at the time we wrote a book, really we designed it for women who would never in a million years pick up a book about money. And so it's tailored to that market, but absolutely every single message inside of the book is uh, just as applicable to, to, to men as it is to women. And, and you do in the beginning express why uh, women have different issues with money than men. And I find that quite interesting, actually, as a, you know, not being a woman myself, as you may have noticed. <laughs> um, I, actually, I thought that was quite interesting, an interesting insight. But then all the rest of it is just as applicable to both. So um, no one should feel put off by the title, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simon, thank you so much. Um, we're going to buy five of these books and give them away on a prize draw on Twitter. So we want to spread the word. I really, really like your thank work. Thank you very um, much. Keep it up and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. Well, it's fascinating. I always learn new things uh, listening to these interviews. Why we don't do what we know we need to be doing. <laughs> and I just thought that's a very interesting because I think we've probably all got that in common. In, in all areas of our life, really, but obviously she's relating it specifically to, to money and how we use our money. I think that comes into what someone was saying, that we all operate within a narrow range of behaviours. And I think I, that's great. It, it's a bit like the, uh, the echo chamber of Twitter people talk about and the fact that your friends tend to have the same core values that you do and all of this kind of stuff. And the idea of just putting yourself out of that and seeing how it feels. Mm. Um, that's a really interesting, just a very simple thing to do. Do something different, do something that you've never done before, and particularly something that is outside of your normal range of behaviours. Touching on another thing that she raised, it's the emotion that underpins Money Matters as well. And those are the things that we don't often talk about, about how money makes us feel. And it can make us feel happy, but it does make us scared sometimes, fills us full of dread when we... You know, whereas certainly me as a self-employed person over the years, I can think of times when I've 
laying in bed in the middle of the night going, my God, how am I going to make enough money this month to pay the mortgage? And, mm. and so you can't discount those uh, emotional feelings around money. No, but we we do tend to avoid them. Mm. Um, so one of the things in, in, in our book is we talk about creating a clear path. And the first thing you have to do is open your bank statement and yeah. have a look. That's amazing how little people do that, how little people actually engage with their money. We do wellbeing workshops where we go into companies and we talk to, say, 15, 20 employees at a time about the principles of wellbeing. It's an hour workshop. And I did one recently at a company in Swindon, three sessions during the day, so around 50 to 60 people. And I asked them, who is invested in the stock market? And three people put their hands up. Then I asked them, who is a member of the company pension scheme? And everybody put their hands up. And I made the point to them, you are all invested in the stock market. And if you don't know that, and if you don't look at your statements, and if you don't open your bank statements and your pension statements, you are invested in a way that might not be appropriate to you. So engage, engage with your money, improve your relationship to money. You know, I told them off a bit, if I'm honest. Good for you, Chris, good for you. (laughs) So... um, Money, emotion, fear, shame, guilt, I mean, the fascinating stuff. And the important thing is to get it out, to unpack it. And that's what the do something different things. And I think that's one of my favourite parts of her book, is um, is just getting people to do something different than what they normally do. A couple of other things that I like from Simone's talk there, uh, the how much can you give away? You know, uh, a lot of the, the advice that you can get is either aimed at people who've already got lots of money, this awful phrase, high net worth people, or it's debt advice for people who haven't got any money or even are in a negative position. But there's a huge amount of people in the middle um, and they need to be catered for as well. Um, how to give advice for people who have got maybe enough, but maybe not quite, you know, which I think is probably most people. And cash flow planning, the financial planning tool, which enables you to project forward what your future might look like in financial terms, um, which we have a simple version you can download on our website, um, um, or you can go to a good financial planner and they will be able to construct this for you. But that's a crucial thing to work out either how much you need to be saving to get your future you want, or if you have enough, how much you can give away, perhaps to your children or to charity or what have you. So that's a really good tool for engaging with your money. And then the final thing that I just want to touch on is uh, self-limiting beliefs, the idea that uh, we have assumptions in life and we try not to engage. And the line that I keep coming back to is beliefs are not truths. And this goes for politics, personal beliefs, debates, anything. But particularly when it comes to money, just because you believe something to be true doesn't mean it's true. And challenging those self-limiting beliefs particularly is a crucial way to engage with your money. Well, I look forward to picking that up, actually, in a podcast in future, because I think that in itself is a fascinating topic. I've really enjoyed today's podcast. Well, I always do. But today, I think, interesting, very interesting conversation with Simone there. And do keep an eye out on our Twitter account for the um, competition to win one of Simone's books, or just go and buy one. Yeah, exactly that. Or, and of course, you can buy the Financial Wellbeing book uh, by Chris Budd. All proceeds go to Penny Braun Cancer Care. That's enough from us, but we'll be back very soon with another Financial Wellbeing podcast. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit 
www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? I'm counting on you, Lord, please don't let me down. Prove that you love me and buy the next round. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? Oh Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town?